Hello and welcome everyone to Ashes Pathfinders episode 73. Today we're calling it Set for Success. And before I introduce my guest, I'm going to tell a really funny story about today. I got a message from Stephen who you see right, um, right there. And uh, he literally messaged right before we were getting ready to go live. He was like, hey, I can join today. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, cool. <laughs> but uh, the really funny thing is that 10 minutes before, maybe 15 minutes before I got the message, uh, I was actually making the video art for the video for this week and uh, pulled an image off of the wiki. And it was actually one that had a picture of a character and it said Steven above the head. And I just recognized that. And I thought, eh, Steven set for success. Good image to post. Next thing I know, I get a message. I'm like, what? See, it was meant to be. Feels yeah. like it. it was so, stars. Yeah. Destiny. But yeah, I told Steven and I told the guys here that we're just going to treat Steven like a normal cast member today, jumping on as another member of the community to talk ashes. And uh, I am joined again by Faisal, top left, Pacha, top Ooh. right. And of course, Steven. Bottom right. Thank you. And uh, hello, everybody. Let's get started. So we've got a bunch of bullet points. And after last week's episode, we were like, hey, we're going to kind of like roll into this one. There were some uh, one thing I've really been enjoying about uh, the tweets from Ashes lately has been um, that every now and again, and I've been mentioning this recently more and more. We get these like tweets and it's like, hey, here's this cosmetic thing. But there's like a little blurb about lore. And I was talking to Mackie and, and everybody here last week um, about that. And, uh, you know, it's like, man, you could really start to tie some things together. And Mackie's a huge lore nerd and has been doing a couple videos lately for Ashes Lore. So um, we might be touching on that, too. But I think as we transition out of today's episode, next week, we'll probably be doing a little bit more around lore again. Um, but uh, I guess I wanted to touch base with Steven, though, on, on studio. How's everything going with the team over there? Pretty good. And yeah me. things are going things are going pretty good um we've had uh uh you know there were i was expecting a little bit more of a transition to the environment at the office to a work from home environment but um honestly it uh it picked up right where it left off <laughs> from us leaving the office to to people you know working from home it hasn't really been any interruption um, there and yeah, to give you a little bit of background, I mean, on the on yeah. the lore pieces that you guys you know read uh, that Margaret and Sarah and Danielle put out through the community, we have we have really great writers at the studio um, between Sam Samantha Page and uh, Alex McPherson um, and Bard myself. Uh, you know, they they really have taken I think um, you know a lot of <clears throat> a lot of great literary direction. Uh, from what's been traditionally the Pathfinder campaign that Ashes of Creation originated from, um, so it's been it's been cool to see you know the the more nuanced uh, sections of the story get fleshed out um, with very particular uh, you know literary directives. So it's pretty cool. Nice, yeah, it's good to hear. I mean, we've been I honestly been we've been nerding out pretty hard here lately, and I, I was kind of my intention with a lot of what we've been talking about lately to kind of go back a bit and start tying things in together. Uh, because you know, this show has been what around two years now and you know, ashes in itself has been going significantly more time, like what, four or mm -hmm. so four years. Right. Cause it was the end of 2016 when I, a buddy of mine hit me <laughs> yeah. up about ashes. So <clears throat> we, um, 
let's see. I think we got we got outed in December of 2016. So <laughs> we were we were doing some some test. I believe it was some test uh web pages that we were putting up and accidentally i think the per the dev the dev site went into production and <laughs> it was up for like an hour and i think it was massively op that did the first article and they were like ashes of creation and so technically yeah, it was december 2016. wow i didn't realize i had gotten in on it that early with it being out and about that's crazy yeah, yeah that's yeah. interesting so we have a bunch of bullet points here hitting on different elements and revolving topics that relate to the MMORPG genre. And one of them was actually wondering this. He was, he's one of the people that's been on the show a lot lately, wasn't able to be here today, unfortunately, but he had to put out a video on his YouTube not too long ago. And it was basically talking about his top five things you'd like to see in an MMO. And as I was reflecting on that, we talked about uh, touching base on that, you know, I kind of, came up with some of my own. We had some people um, yesterday, actually, um, when I was doing a quick live stream that contributed some questions as well. And, um, you know, I'm just going to kind of jump around on this, but storytelling, I'm going to hit on this one and, you know, feel free to any of you to kind of jump in whenever, but storytelling has always been for me, probably one of like, I'm a big theory crafter and I love that. I can really enjoy PVP and things like that. But Honestly, you know, the thing I always reflect on is if any game, whether it's MMO or otherwise, if the story isn't compelling to me, I just can never seem to stick with it. I look back at every MMO, every RPG, any game, even like Command and Conquer when I played it, like any game. Dude, Command and Conquer had the best intros. <laughs> Live action intros yes. and Red Alert as well. Red Alert, Red yes. Was so good. Yes. Amazing. That was so good. But like the story was so good, right? And, and it's like, for me, if a story is just so good and rich in lore and just, you know, just keeps me wondering about all the pieces, then I'm just hooked. Like I'll play it. Even if there's something I don't agree with the, with the game or if things aren't, you know, uh, the hype's kind of dying off and whatnot. Like I'll still play it. I'll be dedicated to it. So how big of an influence is that for you all in, in terms of a game you play, especially like, MMO? So, so you have to be a little bit clear with the question because <laughs> so, so, some video games like to give out the story in, in just text. And mm -hmm. so, so some of them like to give you video cinematic, like um, Command and Conquer or like the Elder Scrolls where it's very linear to show you the path to to the end of the story, then it gives you the side quest that you can do. So, so it's, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it, 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 there's there's a balance to have for sure. And I feel like storytelling for me as well, it's kind of like the most one of the most important things I can have in an MMO. And there's one thing though, like I know some people are all for voice acting. Some people are they don't care necessarily for voice acting. And I know that I used to be someone who was like super hyped for voice acting when uh, Swator was in development and they were talking about how it would be super cinematic with all voice acting. And then honestly, you know, at, uh, after like the first 20 levels, it just felt generic. So I feel like voice acting is something for story, for storytelling that is, it's it's good it's very beneficial is it essential no because it costs so much money to do and it takes so much time and so many resources for 
a benefit that does not scale the same right. way, in my opinion. And, and not only that, yeah. but continuity sake as well. Like when new chapters and expansions come out, you know, you have to consistently ensure that the continuity of those voice actors who played those pivotal character roles continue to play those roles going forward. Otherwise, yeah. it's a little bit of a shocking kind of disruption. You can't, you can't change the voice actor out of nowhere for iconic characters, right. like for sure. And another thing for me uh, regarding storytelling would be there's this there's this thing that most MMOs tend to do, and it's one of the reasons why I was like so interested in Ashes when I was first uh, uh, invited as a guest on this stream uh, that I told you about was that so many MMOs make you in the story in the story they make you the hero, the savior of the entire world. You're the eternal mm -hmm. commander. You're the vestige. You're the vestige. god amongst men. <laughs> and my issue with that is that it's an MMO. It's not a single player. I don't want to play with a thousand gods. I want to play, I want to be an adventurer doing my own thing. A single player campaign in the game should not directly port without its issues in an MMO. Because a single mm. player, it's normal that you're the center of the story. But like, I don't want to feel like the center of the story. I want to feel like one of this like one guy in this big group that defeated the dragon right i think um i mean that's <clears throat> i think there's there's a lot of ways you can tell a story right mm -hmm. um traditionally i think that we've seen storytelling progress um not just in any one particular genre of the gaming sphere but i think across all you know genres we've moved away a little bit um, from this, you know, spectator type storytelling position where, um, you know, you as the player are really just observing the events unfold around you. You know, it's a nice story to understand, to, to hear, but you're not really a participant, so to speak. And yeah, there's, you know, opportunities where, you know, gameplay and designers put in these kind of, uh, railroaded, um, participation, you know, uh, focal points where, you know, you must do this thing to progress and failure is not an option in doing this thing to progress. You will succeed because we need the narrative to move forward. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think one of the biggest departures that we, at least with ashes of creation have taken from a storytelling standpoint is failure is an option, right? You can <laughs> fail down a certain narrative. Um, and those failures are determined by the actions of the community as a collection of individuals. Um, you know, are you a protagonist in the storyline for ashes? Yes, you are. Does that make you a hero? Absolutely. Are you the savior of the world? No, because that really doesn't make sense from the vantage point that you as a player will have within the storyline. So, um, you know, you're going to be a, a, a conglomerate of heroes that kind of determine the way forward for certain narrative paths. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I'm going to piggyback off what Faisal said too, because there are a lot of ways that you can tell a story. And one of the ways that ashes has been pretty, pretty uh, secure and, and uh, consistent with has been that, you know, this is, there's not going to be like voice acting, at least it's not the game plan. And uh, one game in particular when Pacha said <laughs> vestige, of course, I thought <laughs> the Elder Scrolls Online. And in that game, you know, we had what Kate Beckinsale as the queen, and you had all these really yeah. big, you know, names that I forget uh, what's his name that plays. Uh, uh, um, anyway, 
the, they had like four really big name actors though, that played a lot of the, the main characters in the beginning. Well, actually, they had more than that. They had, well, probably like five to ten. They were pretty big names. But how many of them are like coming back and still doing kind of like new voice dialogue and things like that? And that's like one of the things I've always felt like I missed out on is you don't really see them, you know, talking too much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that people have been, I think, kind of split on is with Ashes is that it, you know, they're just going to have this kind of go and do a quest and you read the dialogue. And I actually, you know, when I look at in the grand scheme of games I've played, you know, between like World of Warcraft and SOTOR, which had, I mean, honestly, had a really good um, like kind of cinematics and like voice acting and all of that was really good and and everything. But um, I always felt a little bit more immersed in the ones I had to read because I feel like like a book. I have to do some more imagining around uh, this character. Like I might see them in the game, right? But when you eliminate things like cinematic cuts and stuff like that, and you just have to kind of go through and kind of read the emotion that's portrayed on in the dialogue. I don't know. For me, I, I feel like my imagination tends to flourish a little bit more with it. So when Ashes was saying we're not going to do that, I was like, <laughs> okay, I think I'm, I can be good with that because yeah, it's always vibe for me. <clears throat> Yeah, the only the only thing that and I think during the Kickstarter, uh, during the the Q and A's we were getting during the Kickstarter for Ashes of Creation, Stephen, you said that you like voice acting was probably out of the question uh, because of like because of like the the cost and benefit and benefit right. situation. But you also said that it was it was a maybe for uh, greetings and like little sound bits. Oh, yeah, there's definitely audio cues on interaction. Um, That's relatively easy to incorporate. As a matter of fact, I believe we have some incorporated for this particular testing phase that's coming up in a couple of weeks. But um, it's mainly it's mainly really the, the voice acting um when reading out you know mm-hmm. <clears throat> text and stuff i mean the primary reason for that is um you know it just adds an additional layer of production need slash budget yeah. that is you know not really conducive to us getting the game out mm-hmm. quickly um mm-hmm. you know would i like to have you know uh, famous actors reading the story yeah, I think so, <laughs> but <laughs> but but I think that that is just not within the scope of the project. Yeah, can't forget we have like a, a really good, or like top notch person working on sound. <laughs> like right, Bear McCreary is amazing. Right, Bear. Yeah, Bear's on the music, um, yeah. and um, we have Adam Block uh, as one of our sound as audio designers. Nice, cool. And yeah, like uh, we can't forget also regarding like voice acting and all that stuff. We can't forget that like in situations where you're doing voice acting, you have standards, right? Like you don't want people to be able to record from their home and just send send you the audio file and then you just put it on the NPC. You want mm-hmm. you want everything to be on the same same level. And then mm-hmm. when you get into rare, like extremely rare situation like the pandemic we're living in right now, you have studios that are pushing out their expansions and their DLCs and they're like there's not going to be any voice acting in it. It's going to be maybe a few months later because we can't bring the people to our studios because of the situation. So like that's, that's another part of voice acting that makes it really, really hard to do. Yeah. 
so recording we, through your iphone <laughs> but like does it does it have to be someone that's super famous when it comes to voice acting oh of course like, not. no not necessarily no 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 it doesn't have to be um but again just from a production standpoint you know that's an additional layer to to ensure that these different narratives that are being read out as a script are attached to the npcs and are placed correctly and the continuity sake mm. and determining you know <clears throat> which has to be completed at a certain point of time um quality side of it mm -hmm. like those are they're just additional steps that we didn't really plan for in our in our um scope and yeah i mean it's always possible to add scope but mm -hmm. uh, i don't think we're going to be doing that yeah build the foundation mm -hmm. first that's always my philosophy uh mm -hmm. there was a, a question brought up by one of my community members here cheryl she had mentioned yesterday you know one thing that was gonna it was worth like discussing was like for alts you know when you think about storytelling how do you make it interesting from one one character to the next so that you have like for someone who really cares about story you're really still interested in playing through another character if you want to do it uh and that's always been one of mine too it's like if it, if i feel like i'm basically rerunning the exact same thing again like i because i'm a big story guy i'm gonna get bored of it you know it's always nice when which is and this is gonna totally like transition us later so keep in mind this idea of classes and stuff one thing i've always enjoyed in in games where they have like a focus on now world of warcraft did this in a, in a lot of different ways uh and it kind of over the years i think of you know kind of steered off the rails a bit and it seems like they're maybe going back that direction but you know the classes had a little bit of a story i mean you even go back to like vanilla wow right you had the paladins yeah. had their own quest for like their mount the warlocks and you know you have later you have the druids in order to get different forms and stuff like that which was always interesting because even though yeah you're going through and doing some of the same story with your alliance or whatever you know there was still this you know flavor that was there that didn't exist and the story was different because of your class and you know you expand upon that and you think of uh, other ways you can incorporate uh, changes in a game or variations in gameplay that revolve around the class and for me that's huge because then when you look at and i've always looked at ashes as you know i mean steven's said it, it came from his pathfinder campaign and if you know that's the case then it makes sense that there would be elements that would feel very dnd to some extent and one that i've i'm i'm very much in a noob at dnd and I'm, I'm working on getting there i've, I've had a couple playthroughs but nothing significant uh, but the thing that i thought was very interesting was in the very beginning was working on my little character sheet like my story like what where i came yeah. from like you know why i'm here um you know as we're all about to meet or we're grouping together or whatever and that was the really fun part and the thing about mmo experience i had before keeping in mind that for me an mmo i had that experience before i ever had a dnd experience so for me you know, getting into D and D and then also seeing like a parallel with things that I liked about the MMO, such as that flavor of class or Alliance or whatever in the story that I'm going through. Um, you know, I think, I think that's something I'm, I've kind of, um, am really appreciating more now about ashes. I think is that there's the potential for, you know, maybe a little bit more, uh, identification with my character than some other games that maybe had here, especially in, in recent years, I think. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, my philosophy, at least on the Pathfinder D and D front is traditionally with, you know, dungeon masters, you'll experience, um, either a more heavily role play and story oriented 
DM or a more combat-oriented DM where you move from encounter to encounter. I tended to to be more on the story slash roleplay side of um, <clears throat> D&D and Pathfinder as a DM. Um, and I think that that translates a little bit uh, more into kind of the direction of how unique classes or um, races will have a different perspective not only as it relates to the main storyline of the world in ashes, but also as it relates to the storyline of your particular node or the individual storyline, so to speak. A lot of the reasons why so many systems um, are tied into the um, to the node is because that's essentially where your base of operations from an individual standpoint ties into the to the narrative of the world, right? And then each of those nodes are contributing from a community standpoint into the overarching narrative of the, of the, of the game story. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity there for individualism, for unique decisions to be made that kind of expose a different route or path in the narrative line um, that gives you a different experience, at least as as it pertains to the original question of, of alt making, you know, will I be experiencing the same thing over and over? No, you won't. And not only that, you know, traditionally and what sets ashes apart, I think from a lot of MMOs in general, from a storytelling standpoint is traditionally in more theme park oriented games, you know, you are riding a ride and you go from one ride to the next and that ride doesn't change. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in, in, in ashes of creation it is a living breathing consequential world that has a linear progression um, and the experiences you have on day one will be different than the experience other people have on day 60. Um, so that provides again i think for the opportunity to have a unique storytelling experience for each person Hmm. oh yeah I mean, like even even when creating stories, I feel that every character has its own personal feeling. Like making, when it comes to storytelling, designing the story is really nice. But when it comes to character creation of a person, of him being buff, him being bald, the type of story that you just grind in him it makes him makes that role that you give him very important. Like. I see. I really respect DMs because they, the people that that, the, the amount of imagination that they need to produce is quite uh, a big step because um, having a good DM basically means that every action you do is really nice, uh, and he, every encounter with a character makes you feel that you're you're encountering someone special. Um, so I feel that like, I know it's hard, but, (laughs) but making every character special in, in the, in the story is, is quite significant to me. For sure. I mean, I think, I think it comes down to expectations, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, you know, we have to also understand, um, that, you know, a massively multiplayer online game has to create content that's going to be absorbed and shared across players. And so in the creation of alts or different characters, there's going to be a portion or percentage of that experience that will be shared. Uh, But the, the obvious goal and desire and the way we're structuring things 
um, should keep for a very diverse experience, at least at least different from what we as players of other MMOs have become accustomed mm -hmm. to. Yeah. Yeah, and like, sure. there's also the fact that um, I feel like some some writers in some MMORPGs, when they write storylines for uh, the regions they're in, um, for example, in ESO, every single regional storyline, you're saving the entire world from a threat, um, which is fine when you want to feel like you're extremely powerful and when you're like extremely important to the story. But there's... Uh, maybe it's just a different of age, but there's no storyline in ESO that made me feel more passionate mm -hmm. than the story in World of Warcraft where I had to kill to kill boars to get meat to give <laughs> to get a goddamn meat pie for the little Timmy in Goldshire. And I was like, I will get that meat pie so bad. It took me like five <laughs> hours of granting these boars. But I was just reading the text. And once again, it's not voice acted. It's all text. And it's just the way it was presented. It was fun. It was just a little thing. And it, like an MMO shouldn't be taken, taken serious, like too seriously all the time. Oh, it, it should be fun. It should be light. So like all your storylines should don't have to be about saving the world don't have to be all grand and killing dragons that can like destroy the entire world you can't just be getting timmy his damn meat pie for once i, I, I want i want the side quest to be like meet the village idiot and like him him going exploring doing crazy things in the town that'd be hilarious i call i call the saving the world paradox the one-up <laughs> paradox um, yeah. and it's it's essentially like once you've saved the world like the i think the theory of storytellers and some designers is like you now you have to continually one-up that so you're always saving mm -hmm. something so to speak yeah um i think i think the way that we approach you know questing we kind of lump these these type of things into three major buckets right <clears throat> and saving the world is something that's that's not going to be you know a repeated constantly seen type of narrative as a matter of fact even in the first chapter i think of the mmorpg mm -hmm. um you're the climax or the 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 <clears throat> the crescendo of the primary story arc if players achieve certain paths um, isn't going to be so much a save the world type of event as it is an evolution of the world, so to speak, that leads mm -hmm. into the next chapter. Mm -hmm. And eventually there may be a crescendo that relates to kind of overcoming, you know, the, the, the evil forces that are behind um, the kind of grand scheme of what, you know, this metaphysical nature of Vera's universe is. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, you're not going to see a one save the world quest to the next save the world quest to the next <laughs> save the world quest. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, for example, yeah. you said the one up paradox, mm -hmm. and there's the Star Wars MMO that had that, um, where you were always getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And in the main story, you're becoming like, a, let's say for the Sith warrior, you're becoming the wrath of the emperor. So, like, how do you get more powerful than the Emperor's right hand? Well, in the DLC, you basically kill the Emperor. And then what do you do? Well, you got to find someone even more powerful. It's <laughs> like, it's, it, it becomes hard and it becomes really, becomes kind of like boring mm -hmm. for players. Because right. they don't, mm -hmm. they feel like when the world is on the brink of destruction all the time, in the end, the story doesn't matter. Yeah, I think... 
you know, another component probably that goes into my calculus for storytelling in an MMORPG, specifically in Ashes of Creation, mm-hmm. is I, I hold the philosophy that there is no greater villain or friend in a story than a player. Um, and providing the players an opportunity from both a political and a um, uh, controversial teamworking standpoint uh, allows everyone to make their own enemies and friends within the game. And that's when I feel that traditionally in multiplayer games that I become most invested emotionally in the outcome of events uh, if I am participating with a real life enemy or a real life friend to achieve successes or to overcome yeah. like those, those, those to me tell the most compelling stories. Like, you know, it, it, I th- I know we said this in the past and Jeff has also mm-hmm. commented on this, but like my most memorable experiences in MMORPGs I can think of have very rarely been about the defeating a chapter in the storyline. Um, I can remember them, but, um, you know, they don't speak to me kind of like the giant battle outside of a castle or the, the heartbreak between two players or the betrayal of one guild against another, you know, those, those events are the ones that really stick out and stay with me. And I think back, I mean, like in, I remember in Arc Age, <clears throat> you know, my guild in, um, well, I think we're on Curios, but like the first six months on Curios, we had like Kraken on lockdown, right? And a lot of the other guilds in the East were very angry about that. And they finally were able to kind of bring the entire server together against my guild. And we had a 24-hour straight sea battle. I mean, literally, I went to, to sleep for like three hours in the middle of the battle. And I was like, all right, you, you captain and you lieutenant, you're in charge of these, these galleons and this trade ships and stuff. And we, it was a 24-hour straight battle that was like one of the most cool experiences. It was crazy, but it was a cool experience <laughs> to have. And I don't think about like the storyline behind the Kraken. You know, I don't think about the, you know, when I went back to Mary an opal and turned in my quest reward you know to the <laughs> statue and it was like you have defeated and i was like i think about like the people's galleons getting blown up and i destroyed this dude's yeah. galleon i'm like you know that's the that's the type of mechanics and systems that i think designers co- need to cultivate in their gameplay experience providing these types of scenarios where conflict can arise, where alliances can be formed, and and making sure that that type of interaction is intrinsic in a lot of the different components and systems of an MMORPG so that you provide the opportunity for those things to happen. Yeah, because you can't Mm -hmm. script that. That's because it's player interaction. You cannot script it, but the developers and the designers can as you said, create the opportunity, give the players a reason to make this happen mm-hmm. and just let them go at it. So CDC, like uh, CD sieges and all that stuff. Steven right. creating a pause button confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> no pause button. No. <laughs> There's yeah. no breaks on this train. No breaks on this train. <laughs> you know, this is like one of the things I've, I've probably, we've talked about here on the show, like time and time again, is like one of the things that drew me to ashes. Like I can nerd out about this so hard too. Cause like the thing that drew me to ashes is that each server has the potential for this alternate reality, which I'm like, that's so cool, man. It's the multiverse. Right. <laughs> and because it's very much player and community driven, like Steven's talking about, 
Then when you talk about like connecting this mega story or this, you know, overarching, like tying all the alternate reality as I consider them like pieces in together when you're creating the lore, then you're really talking about the players too. And that's really cool because all of my best experiences have always been about like my guild just screaming and shouting because we completed something, whether it was a raid boss, uh, finally defeating the that other player guild that was just, you know, that we battled for so long or we've always been at odds with or even something as simple as like in SWOTOR. I, I don't know if I even talked about this last week or not, but there was like this uh, um, this guy, he was uh, he was a Sith and I was, of course, a Jedi guardian in, at this time. Of course, surprise, I know. But I was like running around playing in PvP. We did PvP matches, the war zones all the time. And I would always run into this guy, man. And it was just he was he was good. He was really freaking good, man. And we would and I was pretty good, too. But, you know, we we had our own skill set. And so it was like every time I would come head to head with this guy in, in, in a PvP match, it was it was either a draw because, you know, other players kind of running on in and we're like, OK, we're going to just call this. It was either draw. He'd stomp me or I'd stomp him. And it was like right down the middle, man. And I I was always worried when I'd run into him because I was like, is this is this going to fight going to drag out so long that one of our teams is going to come help and then take the fun away? Or mm-hmm. and I mean, I even remember like you're not supposed to do this. Right. Always help your teammates. But there were times when we just go kick it on the side. We could attack each other and we'd be like on that side of the war zone over there. And we'd just be like, you know, talking because there wasn't like a, like in wow with the barrier of language and stuff where you can't like whisper and talk and see each other's dialogue. And we would just be kicking it over there talking and be like, yeah, dude, and having fun. But you know, you remembered the people on the server because of their skill or because of an event or because of something really cool that happened or the person that unlocked a legendary you know, something that mm-hmm. the entire server was excited about. And it wasn't just about like where I feel like a lot of them is now are going, which is turning them into almost esports. Commun- yeah. Less about community. True. I think Mike Morhaime. More competition. There was that comment from Mike Morhaime recently on uh, Blizzard. He was talking about yeah. how World of Warcraft, and I'm just paraphrasing here because I haven't, I don't have it in front of me, but. Uh, I think JL and Brack, which is now the current head honcho over there since Mike Morhaime stepped down, he kind of responded to it too, of course, for shareholders and stuff, I'm sure. But he was having a, Mike was on like a podcast and he basically was saying that some of like streamlining, uh, streamlining all of the content has also kind of been a cause of why uh, maybe the game's not as social. And so he was talking about things like, you know, queuing for everything and not needing to go to a hearthstone to summon a player to get into a dungeon and and all of that what do you all think about that i feel Hmm. like um i think we talked about it a little little bit last week um that we were talking about um ashes of creations requirement for eight players for group uh, yes. for, for some dungeons and some content. Uh, and I was talking about how I have no friends except for like my stream partner and that's it. Hi. And, I mean, they're, they're Sim, <laughs> but you know, he's my Sunday friend. <laughs> but, um, and we were talking about how in WoW, there was these portal stones that you could go to, but like someone or a warlock had to summon you. And some classes had these abilities to... It was, it, there was a social requirement, but it wasn't an easy social requirement to fill. 
Um, now there's looking for group tools. I can hang out in any city, just queue for a dungeon. I get popped in at the, the start of the dungeon with my friends. And I feel like it's one of the reasons why I stopped playing uh, World of Warcraft. Most of all, because I was just done with it. But it's the fact that when you streamline everything, everything to make the life of your individual players easy, you take out the social aspect of your MMO. The game becomes too easy, so it's not mm -hmm. necessary to meet people. And I feel like that's something um, that we need to get back to. Uh, now there's the problem that I have with the eight players uh, for groups for Ashes of Creation is that I don't have eight friends or I don't have seven <laughs> friends. <laughs> so I can't just go on Discord and be like, hey guys, I want to do this dungeon. Uh, do you want to hop right. on? I'm going to have like two people join me and we're going to have mm -hmm. to spend time in the city looking for it. And by the time we find people, I'm not going to have time to do the dungeon. Well, the idea behind social interactions and Ashes is that there are many groups and organizations that you, through the course of playing the game, will interact with. For example, and these are just these are micro communities. And the idea is, when you become a member, a citizen of a node, you be, you become a member of that node's chat. You become a participant in the node's um, party finder bulletin board that's central to it. You <clears throat> become a participant perhaps in some of the religions which has its own chat part of uh, societies and organizations like thieves guilds and scholars academies mm -hmm. that have their own chats you can find a guild that has its own chat you can have a family for your um for your freehold and or harvesting and farming um that has its own chat all of these micro communities exist to fill a void of players who may not be naturally kind of A-type personalities and go out seeking friends slash, you know, party members and whatnot. Um, and they provide an outlet by which you can connect. Now, <clears throat> to the point of, you know, the, the question, making things so streamlined and easy, I think that, I think that games from a product standpoint typically target demographics, right? And you'll have the more niche games that target you know, very small hardcore group or specific interests, whatever. Um, and then you'll have, you know, larger games that want to either please all or have a very wide arcing targetable market share um, and, you know, want to be able to capitalize from a, um, from a business standpoint uh, on what their game is capable of attracting player wise. Um, I think if I were to reflect personally as an individual on the progression of the MMORPG player market, um, I think we generally tend to be older. <clears throat> I think we generally tend to accept more old school uh, types of mechanics and practices that might by today's standard require a more uh, a longer attention span. Um, and I don't think that younger generation of players are, are really predisposed towards playing those types of games. Now, that's not to say that you can't attract those players. I don't think that they grew up with the same type. Of, I mean, I think the the franchises within the MMORPG genre are aging. Uh, 
Yeah. And I think because they're aging, they did not attract or acquire. And it's always been a problem of MMORPGs to acquire new users. Yeah. Uh, typically, it's all retention-based. So you gain everybody you're going to gain at the start of a, uh, the launch of an MMO, and then you try to retain those users with expansions and DLCs and whatnot. Um, <clears throat> but I think that because there wasn't a significant pull towards acquiring those new users, that they grew up in a, a void of MMORPGs and really geared more towards session-based type games. You know, my session doesn't exist for longer than an hour before I reset, right? You know, that's mm -hmm. the Fortnites, that's the CODs, that's the CSGOs, mm -hmm. that's, you know, <laughs> those types yeah. of games, right? So <clears throat> I think that, um, I think that's the reason why mechanics and designs have shifted more towards streamlining and ease of life because they want to be able to attract a larger portion of the market share of gamers in general as opposed to MMORPGs. Now, we don't shy away from the fact that, hey, we're not we, we're probably not gonna have 12 million users <laughs> like wow did at some point, right? And we're making a game for success that answers the call of MMORPG players specifically. Now, will the opportunity for, you know, fresh kind of graphics and you know innovative designs and world building components and you know uh, those types of things be able to attract new users i think they will uh, but generally our focus is to answer the call of mmorpg players and what they've been missing because of the way the market has shifted towards trying to attract those new users yeah that's a good point yeah i also think i mean i do i, oh, go ahead I do me. agree with steven a lot because like since I come from the younger generation, <laughs> uh, what's it called? I can say that, uh, what's it called? People nowadays want things. They want the things to be there at all, mm -hmm. all times. They want things to be there fast. They, they don't want to work and put the effort as people in, like in the past do, used to do. Like I used to see my, my cousin who used to play World of Warcraft for hours, grinding things. And and when I look at new generations, like try to put the effort, they just don't. It's just like they want everything to be there on their disposal. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I, th I think again. I mean, there there are some central tenets and philosophy that go into game design. Obviously, you know, hours being risk versus reward, being uh, you know, investing in your character, investing in your world building node, your guild organizations, those things that yield return over time as opposed to immediate gratification. Those are the types of gameplay that we want to lift up because. Um, MMOs are intending to be a long relationship. That's the purpose of the game is mm -hmm. to be something over time. And, and it becomes more and more difficult to satisfy those dopamine, you know, receptors. Yeah. <laughs> if you're always getting things immediately and it doesn't take time to achieve. Um, additionally, the point of failure, the fact that you can fail instead of always succeeding in the design philosophy, um, also makes it that much more rewarding when achievements are had. Um, so I think those are, you know, those are some of the, the philosophies that that mitigate the portion of market share that your game is applicable to. And mm -hmm. as such, designers have tended to stay away from those types of old school philosophies as directed mm -hmm. by their board uh, or their shareholders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think too. It's I almost wonder too at this point if it's something that that maybe even is like scary territory, 
because I almost feel like in a lot of ways we've stayed away from that for so long. Like it's been kind of what, you know, we look at the pinnacle of wow success, right? With the, the what, 13 million during wrath or something of subscribers. It was like ridiculous. And then you had this boom of all these MMOs trying to like basically get in on the action. And a lot of that came from AAA studios with boards and things like that. And, you know, part of when Steve was talking about that accessibility, you know, in a session, sort of like get in, kind of do it in a quick session. I also thought about, you know, that really does go to show you why mobile games are so successful, why so many oh, yeah. of those mobile games are so successful, right? True. I've got so much For resources sure. I can get on, I can burn it out in a session, check back in 12 hours, you know, 18 hours or whatever it is and go through and, and burn it. And at the same time, I feel like um, a mobile companion for the MMO will definitely be useful to uh, to get kind of that feeling for some of the players who don't necessarily have the time mm. to be home uh, playing games for six hours like they used to. I used to have seven hours every evening because I wasn't doing any homework for school and I was yeah. just like going to be raiding, raiding all, all evening, all the time. I can't anymore. Or else I get fired and I live in the streets. So, <laughs> so now, like, if I can, for if I can, like, at work, go, like, quickly grab my phone and be like, uh, okay, I'm gonna post that on the on the board for my tavern because we need more meat for the meat pies for Timmy because he eats all of them. Uh, and then a quest is posted for the players, and I go back to work and I do my things, and it lets you be in contact with that world that is so much love, but that you don't have as much time as you used to. For sure, yeah, absolutely. Just just like you have, <clears throat> you know, quests placed in the buckets, content in general from a time bucket standpoint. I mean, there are things you know when we when we develop content, we develop them into different areas, right? There's content that can never be exhausted, such as the political ramifications, the player interactions, player driven content, right? And then there's content that has a throttle, which might be based in time, might be based in resources, and as those as that content builds up like let's say you know harvesting your your harvestable areas or processing goods right those are the great content sources to place on a mobile companion app right because it's stuff that you may not want to necessarily spend the time you have in front of your computer doing you may want to do more socially interactable uh, content uh, <clears throat> but you can do it from you know your phone uh, when it's on cooldown or when you know that that resource or time is ready to go yeah yeah, it's like reading in chat too. I'm going to go up a little bit because I don't want to miss this. But Pendragon had said, you know, it's about balancing the RPG quest story narrative with the MMO social side. There's a big difference between an RPG center stage narrative, like hero of the story to make sure everything feels they make a difference uh, or everyone feels like they make a difference and contribute to the bigger picture. And in the end, everyone should have the choice to influence the world in their image. Uh which, you know, I think is the thing about Ashes I've also loved is if you're like a hardcore crafter, like there, there's a place for you. I mean, we go to even like the idea of sieging a keep, right? Which I know, Stephen, you've talked about on uh, a live stream a while back now. I almost want to be like ages ago, but it was <laughs> a while back and it was talking about how like, you know, these declarations that are have to be crafted. And yeah. so, you know, people that are just like, hey, right. I just want to craft. I just want to do this. They're going to have a really important role in a guild. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, again, kind of getting back to the basics of the, des the design philosophy, right, when kind of coming up with these systems, you know, I've always felt that um, 
interwoven. Okay, so traditionally you have games that are either like strongly PvP focused or strongly PvE focused, and you kind of rarely see these franchises, you know, try to cater to both worlds. Um, And I've never really understood the reason why, because in my opinion, um, there is a push and pull. There is a symbiosis between the PvP player and the PvE player that's necessary to cultivate a healthy community. Um, you know, you have interests that uh, players have for whether it be, you know, uh, harvesting resources out in the wild or building up their farms and, and going through the quest lines and the storylines and, and achieving these accomplishments that are very difficult from an AI slash, you know, non-player character adversary to accomplish. And that's a lot of fun because, you know, you test your abilities, you test your, you know, wherewithal, you test, um, you know, what it is to build an empire, to build, you know, <clears throat> a collection of, of, of just achievements, whether it be, you know, crafting or storyline, right? And the PvP players, I think, who are predominantly interested in, you know, controversy amongst themselves, right, they, they should have to rely on those players who achieve, you know, crafting achievements or PVE raid achievements. Um, there should be dependencies on both um, protecting the PVP players, protect the cities, they protect the hunting grounds, they protect, you know, the whatever. They offer, you know, this, this type of interaction there. And then the PVE players in response, you know, promote the economy and, and make progression easier and, and, and capable for the PVP players. There has to be a symbiosis, I feel, between different types of players in the world in order to create a wide-ranging base of, of a community that, that has the ability to create social interactions. Um, also, another, another thing, like, <clears throat> you know, when I, when I ran my guild for a long time, mm-hmm. um, I always had segments of the guild who were very PvP-focused, and they didn't like inviting people if they weren't, like, top-notch and had the best gear and the top level and the right class composition and all that kind of stuff, right? And yeah. I never, yeah, they had, I never subscribed to that theory ever. <laughs> and throughout time, I, you know, I would lose good groups sometimes of PVP centered people because they wanted to go to, you know, the more streamlined type, you know, guilds that were just the best of the best. And mm-hmm. like, you know, we're focused on this and that's fine. Like mm-hmm. people's, people have different play styles. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> people have different play styles and that's totally cool. My, my play style is that, that, you know, if you have a good leader and if you have a good strategy, you know, you incorporate all aspects of the design of the game and um, you put them to work at what they do best. And you find out how to correlate between the different groups and how they can interact. If the design theory is good in the game, mm-hmm. it will strengthen you in your numbers. Um, and, you know, traditionally when I when I was in a guild, I resigned three years ago in my guild, but um, because I started Ashes. <clears throat> but mm-hmm. when I, you know, ran the guild and we went from server to server in the games we played, we were always top on our server until the server banded against us, <laughs> which was fine. But <laughs> you know, and, and the philosophy was to incorporate everybody. Hmm. You know, we talked a little bit about the uh, class makeup being eight members, and and uh, you know we. There was some discussion in, in chat again. This comes from yesterday, but kind of some discussions around, you know, 
what kind of makeups we're going to see because you know pretty much of usually i'm used to like what five man groups four man groups um and usually if it's like in the area of eight i always that's like kind of like a small scale raid uh you know for a lot of a lot of the games i played you know even around 10 like eight to 10 it's not not too much different so i think what's going to be interesting is seeing how we see group composition in the future and i think some kind of ideas around what that might look like like are you gonna have a tank and an off tank and then we're we're still really like it's alpha so it's freaking alpha we we don't know right but (laughs) you know we're we're all about like speculating and theory crafting and lore crafting all these ideas and what could this be and how could it work in this world and one of my thoughts is like you know we're gonna see uh this you know, tank off tank kind of two healer type where you got like an AOE healer and like a, maybe a tank yeah. healer. And then you've got, you know, group and a tank healer. And then you've got like your DPS and you kind of vary it. Or are you going to be able to get away with having, because you have more utility, uh, only needing like one healer and one tank, you know, and, and kind of some of those ideas around that, like, you know, what do you all envision for an eight man group? <sighs> I feel like it could go in so like in so many different ways. Uh, you have your cookie cutter usual recipe where you have like uh, one tank, uh, one or two healers, and the rest is just filler DPS. Um, you could even like break the mold and go with like mobs that do so much damage to non tanks that they can one shot or two shot them. Hmm. So you need like four tanks two healers and two really good DPS. Like it could go in so many different ways. And I feel like to really, for me to have a really good idea of what I would like for it to be in Ashes, I would need to wait uh, to wait longer to see uh, more about the class composite. Well, not compositions, but class identities um, and see like, is a tank going to be able to do like that much damage? Uh, are they going to be viable DPS in a way? Like, is the off DPS going to be kind of a role as in we have off tanks right now? So I'm going to have to wait for that. But I feel like if we can make it so everyone so um, everyone has a chance to participate, uh, has an equal chance to participate, I feel like it would be the best thing to do. Uh, and, some, and some MMOs that we have right now, even on group finders, uh, if you're a solo DPS player and you queue up for a group, uh, you could spend, uh, you could like start with not a single facial hair on your face and end up with a beard like mine by the time you're pulled into a group. <laughs> but if you're a healer or a tank, it's like insta pop. So I feel like mm. if if this is balanced right, and I feel with um, the kind of diverse uh, class, like the, the diverse like mixes of classes we can do in Ashes, so like uh, you have a fighter mixed with a cleric becomes a becomes becomes a high sword for example, um, then they can self heal. Can they heal their friends and become an off healer? Like everyone can have a chance of doing something without you know feeling left out. To be honest, how I find it, I, I, honestly, I'm gonna go with Steven's wise words to go off meta and make four healers, two tanks, and two DPS. <laughs> Unkillable. <laughs> <laughs> the usual, you can't kill, you'll never kill me, but I'll never kill you kind of paradox. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, I, when I think of like party composition, I tend to try to, um, want to make it 
versatile based on the content you're facing, right? Um, so I think that there are core roles and then there are spots that should be um, determined either by content um, or by synergy between the classes that are present in their in their build out, right? Um, <clears throat> so those those I think are the two primary factors in determining party composition. If I were to think of you know from a role standpoint, right, the, the core roles are going to be obviously you know tank, DPS, um, support, and healer, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you know when you think of of the the types that then go on the other four side, right? You can have <clears throat> um, an additional DPS, right? You can have a controller, uh, you can have an off tank, um, you can have um, a backup healer or a, a switch support healer, right? And it all kind of uh, depends on the content you're facing, in my opinion. So, like, you know, if you're in a uh, an area that has a lot of uh, aggro trash mobs, maybe you're going to go on the AOE and control side. If you have an area that has a lot of you know, big tanky monsters that have a lot of hit points. You may go uh, heavier on the single DPS and and primary tank, you know, side. Um, I think there's there's a lot of opportunity based on how we're constructing the class system from a even from a secondary class and the augments abilities um, that really change the dynamic and and make the roles a little bit more fluid based on the character's choice, the player's choice, and those can be, you know, those can be sufficient for optimizing you know your return on the experience you know a lot of people like yeah but what's the meta you know what's the absolute best going to be um and i can only do the absolute best because we need to leverage our amount of time that we have and get the most amount of xp out of it you know like i think i think that the idea is to blur the lines a little bit so that there are multiple obviously multiple successes and 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 capable metas so to speak are we ever are we ever going to get rid of the meta no um can you ever get rid of a meta i don't think so <laughs> i don't <laughs> but, think it's possible yeah but yeah, you know possible. yeah exactly it's not possible but what we can do is we can make multiple viable compositions yeah mm -hmm. so you know one thing i was curious about is is if we're ever going to see things like class sets in ashes but more importantly we kind of had talked earlier about uh narrative and storytelling and how the flavor of having uh you know like your your character being like a paladin or whatever for example because they're the most righteous ever but if you go <laughs> sorry <laughs> any opportunity i have too many people to give me a hard time and just you know talk about banning templars or paladins i'm like that's enough out of you guys but when it's <laughs> a <laughs> If you couldn't tell, friends, I might just be a paladin. But uh, one thing was there was some discussion I was watching not too long ago about how World of Warcraft's bringing back. I do love being a paladin for the light. Um, World of Warcraft's bringing back uh, kind of class sets in, uh, in the upcoming expansion. And there was some discussion points around how uh, people, you know, this is Bellular Gaming, by the way, a big YouTuber. And he was talking about how, you know, from his perception that a lot of uh, kind of like identity to playing your character, or you're having your class really kind of went away. And, you know, I was like thinking about that. And I was like, man, totally felt that. I felt like uh, the, the idea of a class, like even in Legion, 
when we had like class mounts and all this stuff that was kind of going on. Like I just not the same. It wasn't. And you know, it was a lot to when you go and you raid and you spend a lot of time and you you earn like that, you know, you're you're striving towards this tier set that is specific for your class and you finally get it. And then people around you see you running around in that and they're like, oh man, that person's cleared this and that. You right? feel proud. Yeah. And you feel proud. And, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of got to this point where it was just, yeah, just kind of like tier sets that any plate mm-hmm. wear could wear and any leather wear could wear and cloth wear could wear. Um, how do you all feel about things like class sets and MMO? I think it's, kind of essential um i feel like uh, most mmos i play now they don't have class sets um and class identity like classes don't really have identities like either any class can be anything and by doing by being able to do any like to do everything you can't do anything like you don't feel like you're any like you're anything worth like worth bragging about um i remember when i was playing world of warcraft and i was like 16 or 17 years old and I was with my hardcore raiding guild and we were in Burning Crusade and I was a paladin. I love my paladins as well. Sam, you're not the only one, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember like we were hardcore raiding and I got tier five uh, armor, like not the belt or anything, but like the, like the, the, the armor that actually showed. And if anyone in chat remembers tier five for paladins, um you look like a pink power ranger and it was oh, absolutely man. horrible you had like yeah. crystals floating yep. and you were all pink and i mean it looked cool the design was cool uh it's just the color scheme wasn't my style for a 17 year old guy um I was I was wearing it proudly. Like I was so proud of wearing that or if anybody remembers the judgment sets for paladins yes uh, in in uh in vanilla wow like that was people who were wearing that i would spend maybe like 15 minutes just following around in the town i was looking at the pal and i was like that guy's a god turns out he just didn't have a life but like he was a god (laughs) (laughs) it's so cool and i feel like it contributes so much to the identity not only of the class but also of the player when you can have different tiers of class sets and it allows you also for the bonuses like it allows you to do stuff that kind of like you know takes you out of the crowd you kind of stand out and i feel like it's kind of essential for identity and i feel like in games like ashes of creation it could also work even if you can have classes like a, a ton of classes because you can mix and match them I feel mm. like it's it's still it's still very possible and I feel like it's going to be extremely cool for players to have not necessarily PVP sets and PVE sets but mm-hmm. class sets that really sets them apart because then they but can back, feel really proud. I'm I'm going to ask you this real quick. How would you do do it though? Because uh, there's a lot of people who who love going jack of all trades for some characters and you also have to make class sets for them. And it's it's not as easy as you think it might be because they they can go wild. <laughs> well, so there's a thing about like that's I I'm I personally feel that way. I know not everybody feels that way, but I feel like no matter the decision that is being made uh, for Ashes of Creation for any MMO that that's in development, 
you cannot cater to every single person's desire. And I remember like that tier five that I got for Paladins, good luck trying to tank or good luck trying to do DPS. You're going to be a healer and that's all you're going to do. And you're going to have, you're going to have like tinnitus in your finger by the end of the night because you're just clicking and clicking for healing. But you were really good at it. Sure, I wanted to DPS or tank, but like... I feel like they can't cater to everyone. They have to cater to the majority or to their own personal vision of what uh, the game should be like. So how would I do it? Uh, I would pass the ball to Steven for that because it's his <laughs> game and not my game. <laughs> but like, I, I just feel like we would like we as players would have to deal with the decision of the studios. And I personally would not feel mad at all or feel bad about Oh, I can't DPS with this particular set. Like, I would just not get that set if I can't do the role I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that there is a fine line between um, establishing clear cookie cutter type roles, especially when it relates to having the availability of these class sets. Um, and also making sure that the paradigm between providing players agency over being able to flirt with the line of their of their class's role, mm -hmm. which is which is the intention of the secondary class system, right? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I think that um, it's it's fun to have those, but there's there's a spectrum on which class design lives. Um, and class sets, I think, lend itself more to a defined role and less to a high amount of class uh, architecture that players have the option to customize you know, what their role is. Now, that being said, players also have the option to double down on their archetype, which is essentially creating that that firmer role and presence yeah. for that class, right? So in that regard, are there going to be sets that lend themselves more towards a particular role? Absolutely, there will be. Um, mm -hmm. Will those be the de facto sets, class sets that are determined by the community? Perhaps there might be. Um, <clears throat> but will there be, you know, an official slash, you know, very clear pres presented set as for a particular role? Probably not. I think mm -hmm. the idea between, you know, the idea of gear is that, you know, gear should be available that answers some different design choices that the players have mm -hmm. made, not one specific design choice. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the idea behind like class sets and stuff, too, is because I think later in WoW, they wasn't it's like Legion, maybe or something. I don't know if it was actually a class set. It's been a while since I've played any WoW, but um, I, I actually like actually when I when I came to visit you all up at the studio there, like a year and a half ago or something, um, that was actually right around the end of my wow time i was like yeah this is it i'm going to blizzcon and i'm checking checking out and i did but i think it was around that time i did man i was like uh, i did and you know <laughs> and i did hey but you know what that was also the uh, blizzcon where they made those uh like mobile phone comments you're like oh shit 
Don't you have phones? Yeah, I heard the crowd from the other end of the Honestly, <laughs> honestly, Sim, when I first saw you, I instantly thought of that. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Wait, you thought what? What do you think of? Like the, the red t-shirt guy who said, Is this an April Fool's joke? Yeah. <laughs> that guy's there every year. But uh no, anyway, let me get back on point. So with the the conversation around like sets, there was a point though where it was like uh you had like it had a specific set bonus and then it got to where the the set that you would get would actually change based on your spec and so it would actually kind of adhere to whatever role you essentially were you know doing um but i wanted to shift to a forum post that was actually a little older it was may 1st and we talked about this last week but uh, it was from someone in the community called marzo or marzu sorry if i messed your name up man uh, but he had made a post talking about learning how to visualize a character's power growth. And I'm going to link this to anybody here watching right there. If you want to take a look at it and essentially he was referring to, uh, the, the most recent live stream was pretty happy with a, a lot of things. Like I think a lot of people in the community have been actually around the past several live streams. They've been like, just rich that's just the only way i can really kind of describe it as it's been rich. i mean for sure people are seeing the game mm -hmm. so like people are really happy about it um that's like a completely different topic for mm -hmm. a different conversation but people are mm -hmm. seeing the game so people are really happy with that for sure so i'm going to read over this part right here talking for example about a mage right when the mage becomes a master everything should have master class the maid should look and feel like a master. Remember before level 20 when you needed two trembling hands to cast a fireball, uh, which was really funny because on the last live stream when I think it was Steven's character we were watching, he was like chucking some fireballs. And I saw this character hold back with two hands like that. And I was like, oh, hey, it's what Mars was talking about. Um, <laughs> but it's talking about level 50, your mage now fluently casts fireballs with one hand elegantly. Right. So there's a bit of a different showcase of how that spell is kind of going off the animation for it and everything and said every important core spell of your class should progress in power as your character masters it without visualizing it you miss an opportunity um what do you think about that do you think that you miss an opportunity as a character is leveling their uh through their class by not really changing that um i think that there's one missed observation there is when you're when you become this you know arc mage or you know master mm -hmm. top level mage you're not casting the fireball that you were casting at level 20 you're casting a fireball that has progressed with you and that yeah. and that requires more concentration mm -hmm. and that requires you know greater power or conduit of essence in order mm -hmm. to achieve this spell going off mm -hmm. so i think there's a fundamental perhaps misunderstanding there and how progression works for these classes um you know these skills are progressing with you and as such they are masterful required skills to accomplish at that at that level now i think what we've become accustomed to as players of mmorpgs and the older school kind of mmos is that you replace skills right you know you had your yes. your fireball when you were yeah. level 10 or 20 right and you get a new fireball that's level 30 through 40 or whatever um mm -hmm. the idea the idea behind a lot of the core active skills that are in the primary archetypes for ashes of creation is that they progress with you so those of you guys who particip participated in 
Alpha Zero, you will remember that you could add additional skill points into the existing skills that you had to increase their levels. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know okay. that's that's kind of that's kind of the idea behind skill progression. Um, and, and then as just as a side note from a production standpoint, right? You know, <clears throat> our animation department is who creates these animations. And while it's entirely possible to create, you know, a whole host of animations, you know, across the board for, you know, um, difficult concentration to mm-hmm. lack of concentration, right? Um, that's production time. So uh, we want to try to share as much as we can um, from an animation standpoint uh, on the character side when casting and using abilities uh, while still making it, you know, diverse and, and visually appealing. Yeah, and I'd like to just like touch on that point that you said, Stephen. Was it's so true about uh, it's not the same fireball that he's casting; it's a stronger fireball mm-hmm. that still requires as much concentration for him as it did when he was level mm-hmm. one or level five. But that one does more damage. For like the best comparison that I can give it to in real life is if you go to the gym. And you've, you worked out, like you're working out for the first time. Just, you go on a bench press, you try to lift a barbell, just the barbell alone. And lifting that barbell, like people are going to look at you and it's going to seem difficult for, for you, right? Like they're going to be like, oh, he's, he's shaking and it's kind of like moving all around. And then they look at this bodybuilder lifting the barbell, but it's not just the barbell, it's the barbell with four plates of 45 pounds on each side. And it's going to look as hard for him as it is for you for the barbell alone. That barbell is the fireball. It's much heavier. That's where the numbers come in. The master's fireball will one-shot some like some mob. As mm-hmm. for the level one's fireball, will just like burn a few hairs. Like it's, it, But it still requires the same amount of concentration. It's still as difficult for them. It's their level of difficult of difficulty. So I feel like right. it's normal that the hands are shaking for both characters. Right. And that analogy, yeah. your muscles are the equivalent are your of your mind in ashes, right? <laughs> right. So it's like, it's like, you know, at least yes. from, a, from a sorcerer or a mage's standpoint that this specific yeah. example was given. Yeah, it's crazy. so many books. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where you have, like, new skills. Like, you have new skills that instead of, like, casting a fireball, uh, I'm never going to do that fireball ever again because it doesn't do as much damage. So I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be throwing supernovas, placeholder name. Uh, title of production you're going to be throwing supernovas at players and it's going to do a lot more damage it's going to look a lot cooler so like that's kind of where the growth shows for the path for like the amount of power a mage has as well they have higher tier abilities that look cooler mm-hmm. and it's just not the same ability anymore though right I also enjoy how Eldar Scrolls Online do it. How when you train your ability for a long period of time, it gives you the the option to morph that ability, mm-hmm. and it also changes the the animation for it and the what's it called stats for it. So you mm-hmm. can kind of feel the difference. And it requires like a different resource pool, like stamina and yeah. more magicka. When you morph it, like yeah, it goes. Yeah, more of like a physical damage or. Or magic-based damage, yeah. 
Um, like I expect that in Ashes of Creation with my ranger, I'm not just going to be left clicking to throw out, like shoot arrows at someone when I'm level 50. I'm going to be able to snipe someone with an arrow made of fire and rainbows and unicorns riding on it and it's gonna yes. look like cool as heck <laughs> i want something as bizarre as the dawnbreaker man. <laughs> oh my god dawnbreaker you're talking about the I, ultimate i love that mount, man you're talking about the ultimate ability no 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 i'm talking about the, the flying uh mount the butterfly monkey oh got it well <laughs> talking about the got it yeah when I originally thought Big of that boy. creature, I called it the Bagoramal. Bagoramal. Uh, yeah, because it was a bear, gorilla, moth, owl. <laughs> oh, yeah, you went full South Park with the Mandarin. <laughs> yeah, man, exactly. I was talking with Jeff Delier, and I was like, all right, I want you to think of a bear, a gorilla, a moth, and an owl. <laughs> And give me something back. <laughs> just give you a hella thick boy with butterfly wings. <laughs> oh my god, dude! I think originally the first the first uh, sketch of that particular creature came back and it wasn't very muscular. And I was like, no, no, no! I want the body to be like a gorilla. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Okay, so there's someone in chat that said something. Since we're talking mm -hmm. about abilities, and he's uh, it's uh, Vladen. So mm -hmm. a huge issue that ESO has with the combat system is animation canceling. Yeah. And that is very true. That is something that kind mm -hmm. of plagues uh, immersion in the game, but also a lot of players where like you can do like 10 abilities in 0.5 seconds because you're timing your stuff right. And it just looks like your character is like passing out of control and you just like dealt like a million damage. Yeah. Yeah, they did that, that. That particular issue. This is not an ESO discussion, but that, that it's caused some server-wide issues. It caused you desync, so animation yeah. canceling can be a pretty, at least in that game, could be a bit of an issue. It's there's like specific elements that this is a thing too. I think that is a bit. It's a bit of a cautionary tale from my perspective. Is that when you try to make these like really unique systems, sometimes that stray too far away from. The fundamentals uh i think you can have things that break and then if that's you know part of your foundation like that's your foundation here we are six years later and like one of the problems that was in the game at launch and in beta still plagues it like right now yeah. you know mm. it's it's cyrodiil for example cyrodiil oh, my God. animation canceling the blocking system like all that stuff has been there from the beginning and it's we're six years later and it's like actually and probably unraveling but they try to work on it instead of revamping it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's obviously mm -hmm. one of the most important things about, you know, going through an open development is giving players the opportunity to participate in these testing periods where feedback, you know, mm -hmm. is, is obviously a very important part of the iteration process. So, you know, <clears throat> I think a global cooldown is obviously the natural combatant to that type of animation canceling experience that's sure. being had. Obviously, having certain skills share certain of, uh, components of the global cooldown, I think, is important. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's more traditional in the roots of, of skill cycling that we're accustomed to as MMO players. Yeah, that's very true. That's actually a part of the discussion I've been talking to people about. Is there's not really a whole lot of a GDC for... <laughs> For the Elder Scrolls, it's just like <laughs> you just, if you got the resources, you can use the ability. And people are like, "Aren't there like diminishing returns on stuns and stuff?" I'm like, "Clearly not on all of them. Clearly not." Yeah, it's um, <laughs> yeah. That's one of the you know big thing 
for me, and at least in the games that I've played, is the lack of of sensible diminishing returns. Yeah, um, I think that's a very integral role of uh, abilities and their efficacy on the battlefield, uh, especially when it comes down to games that have a PvP element to them. Mm-hmm. Um, those things have to be taken into very careful consideration, which is you know obviously what we're doing. But yeah. um, I think the the global cooldown is a. <clears throat> I mean, it's currently implemented and it's currently it was it was in I believe it was in Alpha Zero as well, um, but. Yeah. Uh, it is, I think, an important component of of <laughs> skill composition and ability rotation. Yeah, and you talked about stun locking not really being a a thing in Ashes. Right. Yeah, I, I remember. Um, <laughs> I remember I was playing Lineage Two, like four or five years ago. Oh no, wait, actually, you know what? I was playing Lineage Two. This was sorry. I did a little stint in Lineage for like a week or two when they did mm-hmm. their classic server because of a few of my friends were like, hey, we're going to play. I was like, all right, let's see what it's like. And they were playing one class. I don't remember the name of the class. And um, I was a tank. And they they stun locked me for like a minute straight. Like literally. <laughs> with different abilities, yeah. With, with different abilities. And I was just like how does this pass a designer's desk? <laughs> like where, where in the right mind of a designer is this a thing, especially it's... in a PVP game? I was like, yeah. I was like, this is, this oh makes no sense. And I, 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 I literally lost my shit. I actually, I think I logged <laughs> out. I was just like, this is, I'm so angry that some designer somewhere was like, yes, let's do this. <laughs> and it was the same thing when I went and tried, they had Archage Unchained. And I went and mm-hmm. tried Archage Unchained uh, yeah. for a few, a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. and they in, they changed the pack system completely, and they introduced this like ship that was yep. a safe ship that you yep. could move from from continent to continent, and I was just mm-hmm. like, one of the core interactions and elements of the game has yep. to do with conflict at sea, yep. and now not only have you neutered the incentive yep. for players to go out and sea and transfer packs, but you've also offered a method in which conflict cannot be had. So yep. where is where is the driving <laughs> force between organizations and guilds and playing this game? Where does this idea come from? Yeah. I don't understand. But sorry. Just, no, you're good. You're right. Cause like I was, no, I went, no, I went back and I gave it a shot for a little bit too. And I was like literally playing through and it drove me nuts. I was like, Oh my God, dude, like what happened to these systems that used to be so amazing? Like it went back yeah, and it was is- all about grinding for currency for a gear set. It could be, I mean, literally it's just, Oh, you're not even get me started on. The oh my God, dude. Because now you have a game that's built partially around the, the construction of, real estate and farming and you've neutered completely the crafting system and made it entirely quest-based gear and the crafted gear is only seven percent better but requires a million times more resources and time (laughs) i'm like what yeah the the bottleneck you into this is that you have to do and i'm just like oh my god i can't do this Mm -hmm. i stopped i was go back on what you said about like the stun logging in uh lineage like it's completely ridiculous and it goes it goes it all boils down to testing testing (sighs) testing and listening to your community and like i remember in wow there was this um ability i think it was garrett or gouge that the rogue could do on players when they were stealth. Uh, and it was like, it was basically one stun that they could do and it would last like 
20 seconds or something like that, that they couldn't do anything. Yeah. As soon as they took damage, they were out of the stun. So it was more like a yeah. sleep effect. Yeah. But I remember that. And as much as it creates unscripted stories that are really like, that mark you in a way, it's so toxic and it shouldn't have been an ability that was used in PvP. Like in PvP, this ability should have stunned someone for five seconds or 10, but not 20. Mm -hmm. And like, I remember like the stories can be really fun still. Like I remember I was like uh, questing with a friend at the time and we were just like in a um, contested area and we we're questing. And then I just get like, I just get gouged and my character just goes like this <laughs> for like what <laughs> seems like 10 years, like my entire evening. And he just destroys my friend in front of me. And then he just does slash sit in front of me while I'm still gouged. Mm -hmm. And the whole time, I'm like, please stop! The whole time. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still so toxic and it shouldn't have passed testing. Yeah. And it's, that kind of like brings it shouldn't me to... Shouldn't pass um, testing, shouldn't have passed design theory. <laughs> no, exactly. And it kind of brings me to something that um, I kind of enjoyed in... Um, a few MMOs that I tested in the past, and notably, I think it was Wildstar. Uh, when I was testing the game, uh, they were doing this thing where when you were logging out, they would ask, give you like a quick survey, not just like, how'd you like your session, but it would be like random topics that they, during that day or during that week, were interested in getting the players' feedbacks. And you could quickly like, you know, just like, check boxes and boxes and boxes and send them. And I was wondering if like you were thinking of doing uh, of doing that for the testing. Quick surveys at the end of sessions for players. When oh, they were yeah. well, right, right now we have already um, a, for this testing period, and I think we've done this in the previous testing periods, um, there's a templated document where we incorporate specific questions and then provide areas that they can include their own reporting slash topics. Uh, as well, right. and then that gets cycled through production nice. community into QA, and then you know what's viable gets brought to designer myself. Oh, that's awesome, man! Yeah, I'm sorry. Like I'm just sitting here having flashbacks of like the past like month and a half of my life in Battlegrounds and ESO, and just like raging because of like and you're getting sunlocked, dude. Like yeah, man. I mean, and I've I've got a I create a build that's like beautiful, right? But then between the desyncs and like just people running through it like this just aoe abilities and just nothing but stuns back to back you're like dude mm. there's like you no diminishing returns nothing i'm just like dude really literally yeah. got heated just thinking about archage and chain <laughs> <laughs> like, like right now i'm still going to come down for it but i remember another thing they did was that they removed castle ownership for guilds too <laughs> did they <laughs> like i was like what is the player base you're trying to appeal to? You don't have guilds, you don't have crafters, you don't have PvPers. <laughs> like, okay, who's your base? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> it felt like, like how, a mobile how game. Think about these things. It's just like when they put these ideas on the board. Okay, like this one dude. This is an idea. The other dude who who, who oh, like it needs to get checked by other people. Why are they talking saying this is not a good idea? Well, this is... I don't know. Maybe they're trying to kill the game. Maybe. I mean, I want it all on. I'm sorry. I'm just like, I can't even spell in chat. I don't even care about my typos right now. Like, honestly, <laughs> just like, I got triggered so hard, dude. I'm just, I literally like low key practiced the breathing exercise while you guys were talking because I was like, no, no. <sighs> 
because I went back and you know what the player base that they're the demographic as we talked about that they're trying to captivate is like the whales that are well it's like the mobile game that you see a lot of mobile games around like dumping a currency into this gear I mean that's like that is like a, a hallmark to to a lot of mobile games as you you level you go through you have a button for like auto and you can basically let it auto do everything for you and I'm just like what is this on mobile games and then on top of that, you've got like dumping a currency into gear. And that's exactly what it's I was like, what happened? I was like excited to go back and play it because I wanted to like run around and like farm and like craft because I hadn't played it since like right at the end of Alpha pretty much before. And I stopped like at launch and then I would. Yeah, it's not the arcade show. We're done. Anyway, I'm just going to leave that. <laughs> Sorry. Examples of like what not to do. I think, I think yeah, what, what makes it so relevant to us is yeah. because I think we all kind of saw the potential that that game True. had, and it was literally just pissed away. <laughs> true. It's truth. It's truth. Um, you know, actually, I'm like looking through the points. Next week, we're gonna do some discussion around lore, and so this is what this is what I want to touch on before we kind of wind this one down. No, Steven's a busy guy. Totally ninja'd me with uh joining today which is really great but i know a lot of people like in in here in the community were actually going hey man you gotta try to get steven on for the two year and hey we're a little late but actually it's really awesome because it's a little over a year from i think the last time we had you on uh for yeah, congratulations by the way on two years is really freaking cool that's awesome man actually like uh went and did went the extra mile and put it up on like legitimate podcast sources and stuff and did all of that kind nice. of as a yeah did some artwork and did a did a whole rework on it and everything and i'm really happy with it i'm pretty stoked about it if you haven't seen it uh anybody here if you haven't seen it uh check out the podcast form or like you know discord or wherever it's at and um it's basically like this black silhouette of a gate and then there's like a hill. And so the idea is that it's basically a pathfinder, Ashes pathfinder, or basically someone who comes through the gate that is basically up on top of this hill, kind of surveying the landscape, trying to get an idea. And there's like this kind of dark or kind of dark sky. And then there's like this red like orb out there. And it's like, it kind of is like reminiscent of like a harbinger, but not really. And so you're just kind of like, what is that? And here we go on an adventure. And that was kind of like the like nerd out about it, man. It was, I was pretty happy <laughs> with it, but it was, cool. yeah, it was like kind of a, Hey, you all rock and ashes fam, which is a, Hashtag Ashes fam, anybody that checks this out, we're making it a thing. Um, but the uh, the last discussion point is around the tweets, which we're going to come full circle on. And partially I was wondering, <laughs> was uh, how much of that has been by design or is it just circumstance that we're seeing more and more of these like lore bits that are kind of getting dropped through tweets that are tying into you know the cosmetics or little bits of story um and things like that you cut out there for oh. a second for me could you yeah that? yeah yeah so i was just curious how much of it is by design or is it by circumstance that we're kind of seeing more and more tweets that go and and basically are kind of giving these little snapshots of lore um, one was the Empyrean uh, cosmetics. That one I was really intrigued by. One, because I'm going to be one. And also because it's just cool. And it was talking about the bark of the tree being able to be turned into essentially like uh, a metal that could be used in armor. And 
I, I just feel like there's been a lot of those lately, or maybe I'm just noticing it more. And I'm just curious how much of that might be purposeful or by design for some reason. I mean, it's, it's purpose purposeful and, you know, Margaret and the community team kind of setting up the, the content rollout um, so that certain content aligns with um, certain development beats, right. Or milestones. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, our desire always is not to spoil the experience, right? So I think Margaret and the community team have done a great job in kind of, you know, delving through the content that's available to them um, and structuring it in a way um, that gives a slow but steady kind of rollout of information to the community uh, in a way that, again, doesn't, doesn't uh, spoil anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've like totally loved them. Not gonna lie, it was like we're kind of like I think trying to go and take some shots of like things like Dilia's mm -hmm. diary and all these little lore pieces mm -hmm. and start to like tie them in here recently. Uh, so it's gonna be a lot of fun doing that. But uh, want to go ahead and wind this one down. Uh, it's been a little bit of a longer show, which I, I feel like is slowly becoming it's the just norm. The theme now. It's just I know, the man. Yeah. We're gonna hit one hour, and then every week it's like. Oh, oh, oh. Whoa, one more hour <laughs> welcome to my world steven see what i mean but uh <laughs> we're gonna, we'll save we'll save the one more hour for next time when steven's not here but steven it's been a lot of fun having you on thanks for uh joining us for this show uh um, during the round table here after the two-year mark and uh you you know just as a just a side note uh, i'm just gonna put it out there you know i think i speak for a lot of other people at least in my own community uh, in the Ashes fam community really are really excited where the game's going. Really glad to see a lot of the progress in the past few months and, you know, not like it's required or necessary, but just want to put that out there. Just good vibes. Really, really happy to see Thanks, kind of, yeah, just, yeah. just really exciting yeah. time. Really excited for the game and for the, for you all. And, Really, really proud to be part of the well, uh, community. So we, we at the studio love watching content like your content and the other content creators out there. I mean, it's it's always very rewarding. You know, <clears throat> there's ups and downs, obviously, through development. But um, you know, as we start to roll out uh, information and visuals for the MMORPG, it's it's great to see the the renewed hype and positivity from the community. And you guys are a great conduit for that for that hype and positivity. Really appreciate that. Yeah, and. Um, Everybody, we're going to let him shout out the content. Faisal, Pacha, we'll go in around Robin here. Faisal. Go ahead, Faisal. <laughs> okay, since I have the shortest one, <laughs> follow me at Faisal108 at Twitch. You're, anybody's welcome. I don't really need any donations. I just like to in, uh, you guys to enjoy my streams. <laughs> All right, for me, you can uh, you can find me on Mixer.com slash Pacha TV or on Twitter at TV Pacha or, you know, on Discord, just uh, at Pacha and the Ashes Creation Discord. You can find me there. Uh, also, uh, never forget that uh, this stream was sponsored by Why? Shadow Legends. No, turn -based bad Pacha. <laughs> bad <mind>. Pacha. <laughs> I got to figure out a way yeah, to time you out. My, my biggest platform is uh, Mixer.com slash Pacha TV. You can find me there. Drop a follow. Just chill with us every Sunday from noon to four. Oh, man. This is why I deal with Steven. It's been a pleasure, man. Of course, CEO and creator director over at Ashes of Creation with Intrepid Studios, sir. Carry the torch. Pathfinders, we'll see you next week and uh, have a great one, friends. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Fare thee well.